Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. How Henry Phillips became a comedy troubadour is as interesting a story as whether or not he is one, or what that even means. In fact, Phillips now has made two movies poking fun at his life and career, Punching the Clown, which won the 2009 Audience Award at Slamdance, and now And Punching the Clown, which looks at what happened when a TV network then wanted to develop a series about him. Except, not really. Sarah Silverman, Tignataro, Doug Stanhope, Al Madrigal, Mark Cohen, and dozens of comedians join Oscar winner J.K. Simmons in And Punching the Clown, which premiered at 2016's South by Southwest Festival in Austin. Henry caught me up on his very real backstory. So let's get to it! So, Henry Phillips, thanks for being on Last Things First with me. Absolutely. So, Last Things First, just watched in Punching the Clown, mm-hmm. your second film. That's right. With Gregory Vians. Um, at South by Southwest here. So last things first, what's the last in the Punching the Clown film series going to be like? Uh, it's going to be a prequel. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, if, if I get my way, it would be a prequel. It takes place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Somebody else would play me, long hair, uh, 25 years old or whatever. They'd have to be extremely funny. Um, no, um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, cause there's a lot of stories that still need to be told from, uh, from that whole era. And, um, I would love that. Yeah. But you wouldn't do it like Wet Hot American Summer where they did a prequel, but they still played themselves? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Even though they were all so much older? No, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's time for me to grow into a different category of actor. I want to be a more distinguished, uh, older gentleman. <laughs> well, you are very distinguished. So the, well, the older that just comes with yeah. time. I'm distinguished from uh, from something else, I guess. Now, you met Gregory pretty early on in your career, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. How did that happen? I met him right before I had a career. I, we were college students at UCLA. We were okay. both uh, political science majors, sat next to each other a few times. And, um, you know, uh, it, it was interesting. He's French, and uh, and I'm a musician, and so... At the time, I was trying to learn French, and he was trying to learn music, so we had a friendship that was based on, you know, sharing those things, you know, uh, like I gave him uh, guitar lessons, and mm-hmm. he would help me, like we bartered lessons, basically, and then we both realized that uh, I wasn't any good at French, and he wasn't <laughs> any good at music, so, no, but, um, <laughs> so he wound up becoming a filmmaker, mm-hmm. uh, or film student at uh, Syracuse University, Okay, and I became uh, a comedian. And I would share these stories uh, with him, and he'd be like, man, these stories, are they need to be told, you know? And maybe that's what my film could be about. And so he made a uh, his final project for um, Syracuse University, U- University was um, called uh, Punching the Clown, A Portrait of Henry Phillips, and it was a mockumentary. I think you can see that online somewhere, or you can see scenes from it, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got a development deal, or no, we actually had a, a, a an option deal with Granada Pictures, and uh, they spent as much money flying us around. 
this is about 99 just for the timeline right. here. And I'll be done soon. But uh, <laughs> So in 99. We only uh, have 17 yeah. more years. <laughs> yeah. They flew us around um, and spent as much money uh, on this amazing trip to go pitch the movie in France and England and stuff like that. As we wanted to just make the movie, you know, it's like, well, why don't we just take the money that you're spending on all these first class flights and train rides and suites and mm-hmm. expensive meals and let's just make this damn movie. But eventually Greg became a professor at UCLA. We went our separate ways and I became more of a comedian and all of a sudden Greg showed up one day and was like, dude, let's just make this movie. My students are making movies with their HD cameras. I want to just make this movie. Right. And, and so he took, uh, basically his life savings and put it into uh, the first movie, Punching the Clown. And now we've been given the opportunity to make the sequel. So back when you were a poli-sci major at yeah. UCLA, what were you planning on doing with your life? Oh, I was, uh, I was thinking maybe I would be a journalist. That always uh, attracted me. That's what I yeah. did. I yeah. majored in politics yeah. and <laughs> went into journalism. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. I didn't know you had a political background. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, um... I also uh, always liked the idea of being a writer. I toyed with the idea of being a lawyer. I felt like I, did, I was good yeah. at, uh, I don't know, arguing. <laughs> and uh, Public speaking? Yeah, you You're know, debates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the reality is I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew it wasn't going to be music because I had tried that and it was impossible. It was too insecure. Like I didn't know where the money was coming from. Um, and so I just abandoned it. But then in my last year at college, I started uh, going around and doing open mic nights with a song that was a joke song. And it was becoming kind of a hit. And it eventually got airplay on the um, Dr. Demento show and okay. all these local um, sh- uh, comedy shows. And I was like, well, maybe this could be my thing. Maybe I could just combine comedy and music. That way I'm doing the music that I always wanted to do. But I have a different spin on it. That's what I always needed was something that separated me right. from everybody, and that's that. I'm surprised you, you figured out at such a young age that music wasn't going to be the career. Oh, yeah. No, I, I got really tired of uh, being um, – I, I wouldn't say broke because I was broke anyway. But I, I just not, not – I got scared of not doing anything with my life. What – and ironically, I wound up not doing anything with my life. No. Oh no, that's not no. True. <laughs> but that's part of your that's part of your image. Yeah, your cultivated no, for sure. your cultivated persona. <laughs> yeah. As a was your musical style would would that be a troubadour? Well, I wanted uh, yeah your original the OG version uh, Henry Phillips. Well, mostly musician. I wanted to be uh, at first. I wanted to be a guitar player, and I would uh, try to hustle that a little mm-hmm. bit and be you know. But but there's like five guys that get all the work for session work or whatever, and if you're not one of them, you gotta hustle that much harder. And I didn't really have it in me, and uh, and then uh, I've started writing songs and singing them and recording them and thinking maybe I'd have a hit song. But that it's just so difficult. It's like trying to win the lottery, you know. So were you trying to write pop songs or rock? Yeah, I had okay. a couple pop songs. I still have some old demos. Some of those demos, the instrumental versions, have ended up in the in our uh, in our movies. Oh, nice! Yeah, so, so we were able to do something. <laughs> so with they them. do have an audience. So the twenty-year-old Henry Phillips is like, "Man, I placed my song in a movie." <laughs> what was that? What was that feeling for you like the first time you did the joke song mm-hmm. and realized that that could be the thing? 
Oh, it was fantastic. I I remember it was at the Upfront Comedy Club. I was there for a week, uh, or uh, I knew a week prior that I was going to be going up on a sketch show on that Friday night. And looking back, it's so silly. There were probably 12 people in this room on a Friday night. I had never done any kind of comedy at all. And I knew that this sketch group had asked me to do a song in the middle of their show. And I just spent the whole week just being terrified. I was like, what? What is it going to be like if I'm up there doing something that's supposed to be making people laugh and they're not laughing? It's going to be awful. But then my friends kept on telling me, dude, it's funny. Your song is so funny. I've never seen anybody not laugh at it. You're being weird. <laughs> All right. And uh, sure enough, I went up and, um, boy, that song killed. It just totally destroyed. And it was with those 14 people or whatever it was. And, yeah, it's kind of like every comedian's story, but it's just like I was addicted to it, you know, right away. Well, not every – most comedians' <laughs> story don't start with I was – my first gig is in the middle of a sketch show. <laughs> no, no, no. What I mean is I was addicted to the laughs. Right, but the feeling. Yeah, the yeah. The feeling was the same. That was it. Who yeah. was in the sketch group? Do you remember? Uh, a lot of people that eventually uh, were in the movies. Uh, it, you know, you you know the first movie, uh, the guy who plays my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Walker was in that group. Wade Kelly, the guy who plays the um, the, po- the uh, radio host. Okay. And um, a guy named Philip McNiven, who's got a smaller part uh, in that pool scene. But yeah. Uh, oh, Rick Batalla also, who plays the guy who, who owns the party. They all uh, they all were in the first movie because they're tremendously funny and great actors as well. But yeah, that was the sketch troupe. So when you found that first gig and you got the feeling of like, oh... I'm meant to be a musical comedian. Mm-hmm. Where did you, what was your next step from there? Um, after, you mean after the, the, after that gig went well, and you're gig. like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. So I did that song, just that one song around LA for about a year <laughs> and then did that same song. And just uh, a one song. Yeah. Set? And, it, and it became a joke. Like at one point, uh, that sketch group, like eight months in, I would, mm-hmm. I, I would do, uh, they they would introduce me and they'd go, uh, this guy, uh, you know, he's got these great songs and he's going to do a brand new song for you tonight. And then I would do that same one, but it would always go over well and everybody enjoyed it. With the conceit but, uh, of it yeah. being, oh, this is a brand new one. <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually I started going back to my old uh, songs and then putting them to music. Uh, what am I saying? That doesn't make any sense. And and putting comedy to them, so okay. I would just the melodies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, and then I realized, well, if that, if I'm going to do that, then I have 11 songs. I have enough for a, a whole 45 minute set and a CD and everything. And so right. that's what I did. I put together. Well, it was a cassette tape, and uh, I would sell them at my shows. And that cassette tape got on the Doctor Demento show, and the Five O'clock Funnies on KLOS out there, and then I got a record deal uh, with Oleo Records, and uh, who was a novelty uh, record label, kind of in the vein of like Rhino. And, yeah. But at what point were you were you starting to get gigs as a, as oh, a feature or headline? Ninety nine. Um, that was uh, Doug Stanhope brought me out to Houston, Texas, the Laugh Stop, which was a legendary club. You might know, you know, Louis C.K. recorded his first CD there, and Doug. No, the Laugh Stop was a big um, club in Houston. Yeah, Doug and I recorded uh, something to take the edge off, which is an album where I play the guitar throughout the whole thing. How did you meet Doug? I met him at the Improv in L.A., and uh, we just hit it off uh, immediately. He was like a, he was just like the ideal version of what I wanted to 
be. I was like, this guy is his own person. It's amazing. Like, right. I think that uh, he's a singular act. Yeah, the first night that I went out hanging out with him, he was he gave me his uh, ATM card, and he was like, "Here, man, here's the code. Go get us like a couple hundred dollars, and we'll go to this bar and drink." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> this guy. How does this guy trust me with his his <laughs> ATM card?" You know, but uh. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we were going around and to all these. It's like all mm-hmm. of a sudden L.A. just became this playground of like so much fun. You know, meeting. Uh, but but he was just uh, I don't know. He he just had this uh, this life of going to comedy clubs, which was fascinating to me. I was like, so you're the guy on the bill at the comedy club? That's amazing. And uh, so he brought me out as his opening act to the Houston Laugh Stop, and then. Um, also to the Acme in Minneapolis, uh, sure. which is still a club that I work all the time. And uh, so, yeah, he he really gave me uh, the gift of introducing me to some of these great clubs. And um, yeah, and I you know, still work. In how, did, how did opening for Doug's crowds inform your early <laughs> stage uh, persona? It was perfect. Well, now this is before there was really a Doug crowd. You know, I mean, okay. there were fans for sure, but... He wasn't really the, it, it was still, uh, you know, I I would say 75% people that were just out on a date that okay, night or whatever. Okay, just to go to the comic yeah. club, not necessarily. And his act hadn't quite got gotten to that point where it was walking people yet, you know. Like, when we were at the last stop in Houston, it was just, uh, it was dark for right. sure, but um, the the people were. But not incendiary? Yeah, yeah, no. It wasn't, you know, you you know, uh, your guy. Or the, the unbookable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The point where he and his friends are the unbookables. Yeah, yeah. He was still bookable. The unbookables, yeah. I, I think I'm an honorary uh, unbookable, too. I'm, an, I'm one of the unbookables. Proud member. <laughs> How much of that is is a persona that you wanted to create and cultivate? How much of that is just taking stock of your career and going, okay, I guess I'm going to be this kind of... <laughs> Person. Oh, you mean like just sort of uh, non-ambitious or unsuccessful, or uh... but portray yourself. Yeah, like oh, I'm. I my favorite people were always um, either real life losers or people mm-hmm. that were portrayed as losers. I mean, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, his entire act was just like machine gun jokes about himself. You right. know, um, took I love that. To a yeah, level. You know, Woody Allen, uh, Albert Brooks, Larry David. Um, like, I think it's all the it was Gary Shandling was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was a kid and watching him putting himself down, putting his looks down, and talking about going out on dates and stuff. It was like my idea of what what I was probably going to be doing when I got to be his age. You know, it, just being single. I mean, it was just hilarious to me. And um, yeah, self-deprecating comedy was always what I liked. You know, Modern Romance from Albert Brooks was oh, one yeah. of my favorite movies. And, uh, yeah, so, and it's weird because people will say to me, it's like, well, you're always making yourself such a loser, you know, and I do it in my web series also, but I'm like, isn't that what everybody's doing? I mean, isn't that like when you watch, uh, Blades of Glory or, you know, Will Ferrell, I mean, aren't they all kind of being losers, you know, or Tommy Boy or whatever, you know, it's like, I I don't know why it's unusual in comedy to be making yourself the loser, you know, but I guess maybe, uh, maybe it's that I'm trying to do it in a more realistic way or something like that, you know. There's no, uh, sense of I'm trying to make people laugh. I'm just basically getting shit on. 
Or there's more, maybe it's more pathos. Maybe so. Yeah. A little it. more dark. Yeah. <laughs> that to me is hilarious. Like King of Comedy was always one of my favorite movies. And yeah, pathos is a good word for that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, you know, you're on Dr. Demento even yeah. early in your career. Oh, yeah. At what point were you able to leave day jobs behind? Um, pretty early on. I was making my living, um, doing guitar lessons and also working as an SAT tutor. Okay. And, uh, between those two things, I was able to scrape up the minimal amount of money to survive. And I'm still doing, still doing about that in terms of, uh, yeah, I've never been a wealthy guy, but I've never really felt like I w I've been deprived of, uh, of anything in my life, you know? So, right. um, yeah, I guess I was probably making about, if anybody wants real numbers, probably about $500 a week for about five years in LA, mm -hmm. you know, which is enough to, uh, to get a sublet a room as part of your buddy's, uh, you know, apartment or whatever. And then, uh, and then also eat a couple of times. So, <laughs> Pay some bills. And then what was the moment where you said, I don't need to do this tutoring anymore? Um, I guess it was shortly, it was probably about two years into after Stanhope brought me to the Houston Laugh Stop because then those clubs, it might have even been earlier than that because uh, those shows really did go well, you know, for me. And because um, I, my act was pretty, uh, well established. I mean, I had been doing it for six or seven years at that point or whatever. And so, um, the club owners would have me be the headliner. And so that, then I was able to actually, you know, if I did two of those a month, then I was definitely making a living, you know? And how much merch were you selling? Oh, it's great. That was back in the heyday with uh, <laughs> CDs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The first time I went to Houston, I think I sold, uh, 60 CDs, made an extra 600 bucks. And, um, I mean, for some people that's probably nothing, but like that's, that was some pretty good money. No, the life of a yeah. road comic. Yeah. I was like, I mean, wow. if you were, especially if you were the feature. Oh yeah. You were no, probably making more from merch than from Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gig. Yeah. And then of course, as soon as, uh, every, everybody started, uh, downloading and digitally, you know, CDs have just become, you know, you might as well just give them away. <laughs> Do you even have merch on the road now? Um, I put together a little CD, uh, that I handpicked of all my favorite stuff and I burned it myself and okay. made a little, um, homemade, uh, and I just burned them out and I sell those for 10 bucks. Okay. Nice. They've got, I call it Henry Phillips bootleg and it's all just, um, com com compilations of stuff. What, how many, how many dates on the road do you perform now? Uh, I do at least two weeks a month, no matter what. And, um, Hopefully, I try for more like three, but that doesn't happen every time. And um, but yeah, I have to do at least two in order to to make a living. How how does your uh, road travels compare now to when you were first? Uh, I think that out? there's been fewer clubs, and like for example, I'm coming here to Austin. Here's a little plug uh, to the Velveeta Room, and they're going to give me a door deal just for one night two shows that's next month and um i uh i love that there's a room in chicago called the north bar that i do once a year and i get not as much but close to about what the the club in chicago was offering me for the entire week 
with the with all the negative things that go along with it, like the condo and the uh, you know radio and all that stuff. I mean, right. I don't know if they have that stuff, but um, yeah, it's just so great to be able to go in, and I think it's the power of the internet and also the the success. Uh, <laughs> I put success in quotes over the first movie. You know, it's like. I don't know if the the movie itself was successful, but people um, certainly it's given me a little bit of a following. So right, I um, so I'm doing a lot more of that. I'm doing probably about fifty percent of my gigs are um, just these one nighters at uh, you know places like that. How has your enjoyment of the road um, itself changed over the last fifteen years? Uh, it's getting a little – I'm finally starting to get a little high maintenance and I'm getting a little <laughs> tired of, uh, you know, the grind. Um, I uh, – yeah, the traveling, you know, I just – I'd rather stay home. That's why I'm, I'm I'm starting to look at things. You know, I did a couple of episodes of uh, Silicon Valley that are coming oh, up nice. in the new season. I did two episodes as an actor on that and I'm looking forward to that and I'm hoping that that could be an entryway into that with this movie and – um into more of a career acting and then I wouldn't have to do as much of the traveling all oh, the time. Oh, that's a good credit. Unless they're like, okay, your first gig is in Evansville, Indiana. I was like, what? <laughs> Selling hot dogs in California. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then you also have done a couple of web series too. What? Yeah. What was the, what was the thing that pushed you into doing that? It's funny that you ask because you're probably one of the last people that I met before – I did my kitchen video. I, it was when I came back from Montreal. You were in like my car, so I don't know if you remember that, but we were, we were getting a ride in the same car to the mm-hmm. airport, and um, it was like you, me, and a guy who managed uh, Tom Green or something like that. And uh, I, I came back. I, I had mixed feelings about the trip. I had a lot of fun, and I felt like my shows went fine. Um, you know, I was on that one big music show with like Craig Robinson and, oh, uh, yeah. Dr. Ken and, uh, you know, um, everybody. And then I read like papers about it the next day and saw that they mentioned like everybody except for me. And I was like, damn, man, I thought I had good shows. And I, I was feeling a little depressed about mm-hmm. that. And I was going through a breakup and I was just kind of like, uh, this bachelor dude. And I, I went to, um, my, kitchen and i was like what am i gonna make and i went on youtube and i was like how do you make you know grilled asparagus or something and i just saw this video of like some middle-aged man just teaching you how to make it and so then i was like well the real story dude is why are you making this video and what is that in the background you look like you're at your grandmother's attic and i i was like man maybe i should do this i'll just be like the depressed you know cooking guy and I made a video, the French toast one, and I sent it to my buddy Chris Fairbanks. I was like, is this funny at all? I, I hadn't finished it yet. It was like way too long for YouTube videos, like six minutes and mm-hmm. plus. And he posted it on his Facebook, and then I had like a couple of thousand views. And I was like, well, I wasn't ready, but that's pretty <laughs> cool. And then I did another one called Henry's Chili for One, and I put a song in there. And that one's got, that one went viral, you know, it was like 500,000 views, you know, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. And, um, and then I started at my, at my comedy club, uh, shows. Mm -hmm. This is a true story. I was in Montreal at the comedy club there and a guy, uh, went up and asked, you know, uh, hey, uh, who's playing tonight? And the guy who worked at the club was like, yeah, it's Henry Phillips. He's got a half hour special on Comedy Central. He was in, 
Jimmy Kimmel's show, and the guy's like, yeah, I've never heard of him, and walks away, and he's with his friends, and then I'm walking up, and the guy goes, holy shit, that's a cooking guy. Are you cooking guy? Oh, wait, you're playing tonight? Oh, hell yeah. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I should change the poster to like a still from the cooking show, but yeah, it really helped a lot, and actually, the reason I'm on Silicon Valley is because Mike Judge is a fan of those cooking videos. And he basically wanted me to do a character on there that's similar to that. Wait, had you not known Mike before that? Or I met you... him because um, he's in the movie. Yeah, he's in and the he's new movie. He's also in your other web yeah. series. Yeah, the, the, you the and your fucking one. coffee. Yeah, we met a couple years ago, but it was because he was a fan of both the kitchen videos and the uh, and the movie. So yeah, he he basically uh, is just amazing. You know, he it was able, he was able to make this whole thing happen, which is great. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so so now it's like that. Making that weird video, mm-hmm. the cooking video, just turned out to be the smartest thing that I ever could have done. You know, it was, but I didn't think I was being smart. I thought I was just being silly. But it, it turns out that, like, for example, when I do those shows in Chicago, I'd say a third of the people are Punching the Clown fans, a third of them are Henry's Kitchen fans, and then a third of them are just sort of the totality of whatever else I've done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but people will come with this Henry's Kitchen. They're like, I don't, I don't even know what you're gonna do. Like, <laughs> I just saw this Wait, video of a guy cooking, and it said, kitchen it said he's gonna be in your town. It's like, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna cook or something? And then they go, oh, he's a stand-up comedian. I get it, you know. So it's kind of funny, but um, yeah. So it's cool. But I love, I love it because you can, I can do whatever I want, and now I can do my music. I put out a whole soundtrack album for it and everything. So that's great. Yeah. What is the what has kind of the been the best advice you've received recently that kind of sustains you as you um, enter your distinguished older yeah. gentleman comedian phase? There, uh, you know, I'll tell you, it's a pretty silly story, but you know, uh, Brendan Walsh is a good friend of mine, and we used to have these like epic long conversations. And uh, I remember one time I was complaining. And I was like, oh, man, I did that show, and I was it's such a big show, and it sucks. And he's like, um, well, I'm sure it was fine. And I go, no, because I did this, and I screwed up that, and also I didn't prepare it, you know. And he's like, oh, but you probably, it's just in your head. And I go, no, it definitely sucked. And then he, and then I told another story about, yeah, I did that thing, and I think I kind of sucked at it. And he goes, uh, dude. You got to stop sucking. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, and I, I don't even, I never even told Brendan this, but I'm just like, uh, you got to stop sucking. That's pretty good advice for everybody. And it's like, yeah. I think that ever since then, I'm sort of like, you know, if I get to do a show that's considered the big one in town, you know, um, I'm going to bring it. I'm going to go up and try to do the best that I can as opposed to just like, I mean, this is important stuff. Or if I do finally get into a comedy club that I've been hearing about that I want to be really, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that those are the best shows ever, you know. And um, to answer your question, uh, I think you got to stop sucking. <laughs> you got to try to make sure that sucking doesn't happen at any point. You got to make sure that, stop you know, there's no, no technical difficulties or you make sure you didn't, mm-hmm. anything that you can control. And I feel like I'm, I'm starting to do better quality of work, I guess. <laughs> you are. And on the flip side, if somebody brand new to the business comes mm-hmm. up to you and asks you for advice, yeah. what's the first thing you tell them? Well, I from from 94 to 99, 
I there was not one night that I didn't go out. Literally, I was out every night. I couldn't handle staying home for some reason. I felt like I was just missing out on something. Sure. So I was either doing comedy or doing music at an open mic night because there were both that I could do. Or if I wasn't doing either of those, which was rare, I would be watching a comedy show and um, meeting people, you know, because you you could do 20. And I know I'm not the first one to give this advice, but it's so true. It's like you got to go up as much as possible. You could do 20 gigs and feel like none of them did you any good at all. And then all of a sudden one more and it just pushes you up a little notch to the next level. And if you're only doing one a week, it's just going to take you that much longer before that happens. Do it every night and accelerate it, you know. Right. So go out every night and just you never, you know, you never get worse. <laughs> Put yourself out there. Yeah. And then once you do, stop sucking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those two things. <laughs> well, Henry, thank you for bringing your A game with me today. I, I feel like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Thanks. it didn't suck. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.